Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name's Oscar. My name's David. And this week, we say you should convert Marcus Mariota to wide receiver because he is catching touchdown passes by himself. 49ers defensive line assistant Tom Cable is no longer employed by the Seattle Seahawks. And the Jimmy Garoppolo nickname tournament rages on. We are now to, I think, the, the semifinals, right? Final Four, right? Yeah, yeah, Final Four. I think that's what they call the semifinals. That's what the kids are calling it nowadays. Whatever. And Final let me four. tell you, kids, kids nowadays are really upset about Gucci Garop not making the semis. But you know what? It just wasn't that good of a nickname. I mean, it's unfortunate. I really wanted it to get to the Final Four, at least. I didn't expect it to win. I don't think it really should have won. No. But, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. So the Final Four in the nickname tournament, in case you are not paying attention, which I don't, I don't know why you're not. This is the most scintillating part of the 49ers offseason. Uh, Jimmy Goat Roppolo beat out the San Francisco Surgeon. Optimus Dime. Finally. Yeah. Optimus Dime beat out Jimmy G-Spot. Thank the Lord. My yeah. dark horse is still in there. Um, although uh, someone did make artwork for Jimmy G-Spot, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, I, tweeted I have not seen that. Not I tweeted entirely it out. sure. Do I want to see that? It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, Jimmy GQ beat out Jimmy Jesus. And the franchise. That was the tough one, by the way. That, that was. was the one. That should have been a Final Four matchup. I disagree. Um, but I disagree wholeheartedly. Uh, and the franchise, a.k.a. franchise, if you're going to go with Adrian Colbert's uh, pronunciation of said nickname, beat out Gucci Garop. So that gives you the Final Four. We're going to post the Final Four of the bracket here probably in the next couple of days. But this, this is not what we're going to talk about for the entire podcast this week. I know. You're sad. I, I would be sad, too. I'll really. leave you with this. You vote for the franchise, you're dead to me. <laughs> there's one dude on twitter who talked about the rising tide <laughs> uh it was it was pretty great yeah yeah it was great. some good follow-ups that too by the way so we did a season recap last week and rather than just leave it at that and turn our attention to well the kind of dead space that is between now and the beginning of really draft pickup in earnest we thought we'd do a deep dive into evaluating the 49ers roster because this is not going to be a one-year rebuild and even though we are riding high on the drug that is Jimmy Garoppolo, and even though we think that this team is in a much better place than it's been probably since 20, I don't know, 13, it, it, it's still not in a place where you can say this roster is ready to compete and compete consistently for a playoff spot in the NFL. So what did we decide to do? We're like, all right, let's evaluate this roster, but we're going to do a deep dive and, and we want to kind of break it down into categories. So we thought to ourselves, all right, let's see if we can create a model for evaluating what the roster looks like right now that we can then apply and use to figure out what positions or what areas we need to upgrade in. And, and so we went about trying to create a model and we came up with one that may not be perfect, may not be ideal, but we think gives us a pretty good representation of what the state of the 49ers is right now and also what we need to go out and get in free agency and the draft. And so I think the best way to do that, right, um, without getting, you know, it's it's a balance between not being overly simplistic because I think a lot of people have this sort of binary view of players, right, where it's either you're excellent, you're an all-pro, or you're trash and you need to be replaced immediately. And, and the reality is there's a lot of nuance and gray area mixed in between those things. So we want to have, you know, more nuance to it than that, but... You can't get too convoluted. Otherwise, it's not really a useful thing, right, to, to, to apply going forward. So we came up with a set of tiers, essentially, that we're going to break the roster down into. Um, and, and I think the thing that we learned kind of going throughout this and, and trying to look at some other rosters around the league is there's not a perfect mix, especially in it with kind of today's CBA and the salary cap and, and where it's at. There are multiple ways to go about kind of constructing a quality roster. Um, and, and so you're not going to see a, 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 an ideal mix of these tiers necessarily that's going to lead to success. But I think it's still an interesting way to kind of look at the roster, see where they're at and see where we potentially need to, to kind of add uh, in, in this offseason going forward. And what I really like about the model when you, know, you, you talk about the, the kind of mix and the complexion of the roster, David, is that even one team year to year, depending on how certain things pan out, can change the complexion of their roster and even within one kind of stretch run where you're going to, we, we consider a stretch run kind of like three years. Three years yeah. is that, that peak area 
where teams can consistently make the Super Bowl with really the same type of roster. Even year to year, you're going to see slight changes to try and optimize different parts of these tiers. So when we went about building the tiers, we thought, okay, we we really want to use a couple of both objective and subjective inputs for generating each, each player's tier. And we went back and forth on several of them. But the four that we settled on were a skill evaluation by yours truly, that's David and me, uh, and also some help from PFF. Uh, we're going to look at their position because we do believe that certain positions have more value in football right now. You are going to be, and, and 49ers fans know this single-handedly right now because of Jimmy Garoppolo, you are going to be better off as a franchise if you nail the quarterback position than if you are, I don't know, the Cleveland Browns. The, the other input is going to be expected time on roster. Now, this one's a bit difficult. We, we battled between age and, and, and expected time on roster, and we eventually settled on expected time on roster. And really simply, this is the time that a team expects that player to be a productive member of their roster. Some players you sign to a one-year deal. You only expect them to be around you know, maybe for a year. You hope you can get more, but you really expect them to be around for a year. Other players you expect to be there for a very, very long time if you sign them up to a long-term deal. But the core here, or the core concept is that how long should this player be a productive member of the society of my team? That's going to be one of the inputs. And then lastly is expected production. And I think the, the expected part of those last two is a really key point, right? Um, it's, it's one thing, you know, you do want to obviously weigh what a player has done. But a lot of it, when, when you're kind of looking forward and, and looking uh, at which tier that they should be placed in, you need to evaluate you know, where they're at in their kind of career arc and what you think that you're going to get for them over, like I said, kind of the next three years is really the the, the baseline that we used um, with a lot of these judgments here. And so I think that expected part is a lot because sometimes it's going to be dealing, you know, with young players who maybe aren't, you know, haven't really put it together yet and, and aren't really a, a high-end contributor just yet, but they've shown enough and you're kind of expecting them to take that next leap. Or it could be the other side of things, right? Where it, it is a player that has been very productive um, and maybe has been one of the top players at his position for a while, but he's starting to reach kind of the end of that career arc. And, and you're kind of expecting him within that three-year time frame to start to decline a little bit and not really be able to give you the same sort of production. So I think that is, is a really key part of what we were going for. And what we end up with when we put these inputs into a bag and try to figure out a model for, for ranking players in this tier is we come up with five tiers. One tier is going to be kind of this, this top echelon, this thing that is apart from everything else. And then the other four tiers loosely fall on a quadrant, which we then move players around based on what we think they are to a specific team. So we'll start with the first tier. And that first tier is going to be your core players. These are players that you build rosters around. These are players that are considered one of the best players at their position, and they are absolutely critical to your success as a team, in part because they likely play an impact position. I'm staring at you, quarterback, and I'm staring at you, edge rusher. They are generally in or near the prime of their career. So players that would fit in this kind of core or nucleus category, this tier one, would be Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, Khalil Mack, Jalen Ramsey, their 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 age, their prime, all of that is like, well, they're just damn good. These are the players that, you know, you're, you're looking at drafting first overall. Well, no, the fantasy football example falls apart because then we start talking about running backs and you get position. <laughs> Forget I said that out loud. But but really, this is going to be the core players that, you know, you want to build the franchise around historically for the 49ers. It's been, you know, the Patrick Willis's of the world um, back once upon a time. It was Alden Smith. These are the types of players that are in the top tier of what we consider the, the kind of roster breakdown. And I think those players, right, are generally pretty easy to spot. You know, you, you, most of the time, especially fans of the team, they're, they're going to know what, which guys are kind of your top end guys and that, that are really, really great players at their position. And so when you move beyond that, you get into tier two, right? And I think this is, um, is a really important stage because it's, so it's something that we're going to call foundational players in tier two. And these are the, the supporting players, the ones that are going to complement those top end, those core guys uh, that you have. And, and I, so I think what you're looking for here is there's somebody that fits a more specified role. So they're not going to be able to do it all, right? The guys at the top, your Aaron Rodgers, your Julio Jones, Khalil Max, they, they do everything that, that is asked of that position 
very, very well and at a very, very high level. These foundational players that you're surrounding them with uh, aren't going to be that talented, right? So they're going to be, they need to fit into a more specific role. Um, They're going to complement what those core players do well. You know, sometimes it can be a a matter whether a player fits in here as to whether they have a good coaching staff, right, and and have a scheme that takes advantage of their skill set. So there's a lot of things there. There's, as you put it yesterday when we were uh, kind of putting this together, the ketchup to the French fry. It is the ketchup to the French fry. And I want to say right now unequivocally that ketchup and sometimes mustard are really the only condiments that you should put on French fries. Get out of here with this mayonnaise bullshit. Get out of here with this aioli. I don't want any of your fancy shit on my French fries. I want ketchup. Honestly, get out of here with your mustard too. You get know what? Look, sometimes bullshit. you like sometimes you like no. a little a little extra, but but there is nothing more American <laughs> than high fructose corn syrup, processed tomato puree, and French fries. Like that is America to me, and I love it so much. <laughs> get out of here with your with your French mayonnaise bullshit. Leave right now. And so I think the other thing to to note about your foundational players, right? it's not to diminish their role at all. You need players in this category to be successful, right? That you have to have those complementary pieces. Any team that is, you know, making deep runs into the playoffs, they have a lot of these guys here, um, but they can be kind of anywhere within their career arc. You know, sometimes it's going to be rookie players or, or very young players that are coming in and stepping up early and, and are having a big role. Um, other times it's going to be some of those like key veteran additions, right? Uh, that, that are able to come in and make an impact. So I think uh, they, they can be, there's a wider spectrum there on the career arc that they can be in. So we're going to, what we see, what we start to see developing is a quadrant where you've got expected time on roster on the horizontal axis. For those of you that can't picture that, that's the horizon left to right. That's how you remember horizontal. It's the horizon. Uh, expected time on roster on the horizontal axis and then skill on the vertical axis. And you get these quadrants, and foundational is in the upper right-hand quadrant. They are generally skillful players that you expect to produce on your roster for you know th- like two, three, or more years. The larger part of that stretch run that is your three-year roster that you hope is competing. So your core players, remember, those are the players that are outside of the quadrant. They're just superstars. They're amazing. You want as many of them as you can, but it's unreasonable to think that you're going to have 52 all pro players on your roster top to bottom. This is no longer 1989. There's a salary <laughs> cap. You can't do that anymore. So then you, fill, you begin to fill your roster out with your tier two players. These are your foundational players. And, and then you get to tier three. These are your transitional players. In that quadrant, they're actually going to be in the upper left-hand quadrant. So they are generally skillful, but you're not expecting them to be on your roster for a long time. These are generally older players with less than two years of roster production expectation. These are your veteran players that fill an immediate need. They were once considered good at their position or at their specific role, but now they're declining. Maybe you get them at a bargain bin price in free agency. Maybe they're just in the twilight of their career and you're like, oh, maybe I can actually get something out of them. Maybe they're coming off of injury. Whatever the case may be, these are players that you are definitely going to spot fill based on what they can do, but you're probably still looking to replace them. You're looking for an upgrade. They are really a placeholder for eventually what you want. Now, age is kind of a factor here. More important than age, we think, is like kind of time expectation on roster, but age is kind of a, a tertiary factor here, and we think that the age is not consistent across all positions in the NFL. You can be this transitional player at the running back position at the ripe old age of 28 because we know that there's a 30-year-old, like a 30-year-old wall for running backs that you hit unless your name is Frank Gore, and then you can just continue eating volume in Indianapolis. For a quarterback, though, this could be like 32 or 33. Hell, yeah, maybe even higher now, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So age is kind of a factor, right? But it's really more important than age is going to be the time that you expect this player to fill that role on your roster in terms of years. So when you're looking at something like a, a one- or two-year stopgap player or a player that is a veteran but that you can, you know you're looking to replace, you want to find that person on your roster, those are going to be your transitional players. Definitely. And I think there, there may be lesser cases in there too, right, where it could be even... Uh, a guy that is really on the last year of their rookie contract, say, and you know that they're probably not a player that you're going to resign, right? So you still need to, you're still expecting them to come in 
and produce in that short span of time, but you're on the lookout for their replacement. Um, and so when we kind of move now to the bottom right part of that quadrant, and, and don't worry, we'll put, if you're if you're struggling to visualize this, we're going to post a lot of this stuff. If you in don't the know your right from your left. <laughs> look at your hand; it's the one that makes the L. We're going to put a lot of this stuff in the article too on Niners Nation, so make sure to check that out. But move to the bottom right quadrant now. So this is going to be players that are currently lower skill level, but you're still expecting them to be on the roster for a few years. And this is typically going to be because they're younger players, right? These are going to be, so this is the developmental tier, tier four developmental players, guys that, that need some time, right? They're young guys, almost always going to be players that are on their rookie contract or, or were picked up as undrafted free agents or something like that. And you're, you're hoping that they develop into something, right? It, it could be something, uh, it could be a case where they have, you know, a lot of athleticism and they, they need some time to learn the skills that are associated with their position. Or, um, you know, it could be a situation where injury is kind of forced them into a, more of a developmental role, anything like that, where you're expecting them to be on the roster for a while, but you're not necessarily expecting immediate production for them. Those are going to be the developmental players in tier four. And I think for me, one of the keys here, and David may have, may have already mentioned it, but I was busy tweeting, uh, is that you're oftentimes these are the players that you're scared to expose to waivers. You're worried because like, oh, if I right. cut them, they're going to get picked up because they may not be high snap players right now. They may not be high producers right now, but they've shown enough that someone wants to put some work into them and get them to a better place. Definitely. And, and I think that's really actually a key part there that distinguishes them from the tier five players. So five, the, the tier five players, these are your replaceable guys, right? These are low skill level and you're not expecting them to be on the roster for a very long time. Um, I think really the key here, it, it, and this is where it, it breaks a little bit away from kind of some of the criteria. The, the, the key aspect is you're just a bad player, right? And there's not a lot of expectation that you're going to improve um, or what you do is very easily found, right? It could be, I, I think there's, a, there's some players that we end up here uh, in this tier that aren't necessarily terrible players. They're not awful but they don't do anything that's not readily available on the open market, right? You can go find a guy that does very similar things off the street in the middle of the season or, you know, with a, a day three draft pick or something like that, and you're going to be just fine and get a similar level of production. So that's kind of the last tier, the final guys, the replaceable ones. So to recap what those tiers are, it's going to be your top tier, your core players. These are the players you build rosters around. They are going to be your Aaron Rodgers of the world, Julio Jones, Khalil Max. They are in a tier amongst themselves. Then you've got foundational players. These are generally going to be younger players with a three-year or more roster expectation. They are supporting players that have high skill and really are the catch-up to the French fry that is your core players. You've got your tier three. These are your transitional players, generally a little older, with about two years of roster production expectation. The key here is that they fill an immediate need. And you are looking to replace them. You don't feel like you're set here because that person is a little older and fills the roster out in a particular way. you got your developmental players. These are young players with upside. And then you've got your replaceables. You just bad. So now what we'll do is, is now that we've got that model and we've got those quadrants, let's apply that to some historical rosters, one from 2013 and one from 2017, that helps illustrate how this model can be helpful for evaluating the roster and seeing how the complexion of the roster can generate some success and how looking at a roster in this particular way can allow you to fill spots and fill players based on certain tiers to help drive you to success. So I think the first key thing to bring up in, in kind of the, these different um, ways to go about building your roster and constructing your roster is whether or not you are paying your quarterback a lot of money because that's kind of a, a big thing. And, and if you have a top-end quarterback that's commanding a lot of money, they're eating up a pretty large percentage of your salary cap. And so that changes kind of the way that you can go about things. So I think the model for you know being able to take advantage and, and sort of reap the benefits of a quarterback that is performing uh, at least well enough is, is in, on their rookie contract, so you're not paying them a ton of money, is the Seahawks. Uh, and I think the the 2013 year especially kind of illustrates that because one, this is the year that they went on to win the Super Bowl. Um, but this is year two of Russell Wilson. So you just kind of, you know, 2012, you find your quarterback there and you really start to discover like, okay, 
some of these young guys we've been drafting over the last couple of years are starting to develop and we feel like we have an opportunity here. And so when you have that rookie quarterback or excuse me, the, the quarterback on the rookie deal that you're not paying a lot. Now you can start to branch out a little bit and, and take more risks in free agency with trades and take on some more kind of outside money, essentially guys that you didn't draft that you're not looking to extend. Um, and you look at a lot of what their roster was, right? 40% of their roster in that year were foundational and transitional players. And you had some really notable free agent additions that year. You had Cliff Averill. Uh, you had Michael Bennett. You had Zach Miller at tight end. You had the Percy Harvin trade there. Uh, and they had s- several other guys that they had acquired in previous seasons, right, that were still uh, commanding a decent amount of their cap. Guys like Marshawn Lynch. Uh, guys like uh, Sidney Rice that were there. So you have more of these outside players that you're able to give money to because you're not spending as much on your quarterback. And if we look at where we ranked each of those players, because I think it's also important to note where and what tier we put each of these players. We put Cliff Averill in the foundational category. We put Michael Bennett in the transitional category. And he was a tough one for us because his skill level was such that he could easily be considered a two, but he signed a one-year deal. And it was really difficult to not kind of use hindsight when when applying these numbers, but to look at that roster as it was in 2012-2013 for the Seattle Seahawks. And Michael Bennett was considered someone who would be maybe a one-year role player to help you out. And you hope for something more, but if you only expect production for one year and he's a skillful player, then he's going to be that transitional player to help kind of get you over whatever hump you seem, you, you seem to want to get over. You've got Zach Miller. He was, he was clearly a three older player, but also very much fit a role for them in that tight end role. And then Percy Harvin, another person they brought in in free agency. We had him graded as a foundational player as a two because you were hoping to get, I think they signed him to something like a four-year deal or whatever, even though it ended up not working out. Yeah, they did the trade and I think signed him to an extension and he barely played even in the regular season. It wasn't really until the playoffs that he started kind of coming around and having an impact. But he was considered a piece that you could build around. He was considered someone that, you know, wasn't necessarily going to be an all-around number one receiver, but fit a very, very specific role. And that role was, you know, punt returning in the Super Bowl and getting you some damn fine (laughs) yards and doing some other stuff. But... Overall, the team, because they knew what they had, because they knew they had a couple of core pieces that they had garnered at a very, very reasonable price, they could begin to fill it with other foundational players that they could find in in free agency or at least with some transition players that they could fill in order to bolster their roster quickly. And so on the other side of the spectrum, then, is a team, uh, I think, like the uh, 2017 Falcons, right, where you're paying Matt Ryan a bunch of money and he's one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. And so that limits a little bit what you can do from a free agency standpoint. So if you look at how their roster is built, 40% of their roster comes from core and foundational players in the wide, wide majority of those guys were homegrown players, players that they drafted. It's of course, Matt Ryan, it's guys like Julio Jones and Vic Beasley, Dion Jones, you know, uh, Keanu Neal, their cornerbacks, Desmond Trufant and Robert Alford, their running backs, uh, Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman. Yet they're, uh, you know, another pass rusher that they added this year in Tack McKinley. So most of those guys in that, that core, that tier one and tier two area were guys that they drafted. And a lot of them are still young and on their rookie deals, right? I think uh, right now only Ryan and Julio among that group are on second contracts at yeah. this point. You look right? at their you look at their tier one players and we listed Atlanta's tier one players as Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, Dion Jones, Desmond Trufant, and Vic Beasley. Even though Vic Beasley had a, a kind of down year this year, we still think that he plays a premier position in edge rusher and has shown that he can indeed dominate from that spot, that he is a piece that you want to build around. So those are the core pieces, but you look at their foundational pieces and they just have so many and they're all so young and they're players that they drafted. And even the players that, you know, like Alex Mack that they brought in, who we would consider a foundational player, he's in that second tier. He, he's still someone who is producing at a high level for them and you expect him to be there for, for several years. Uh, and right. And, you have, and so I think that's the thing is they have you have a couple of those guys, right? You have to be a little bit more selective when with the players that you're going after in free agency. So they have guys like Alex Mack. Um, I think uh, Mohamed Sanu is another one there. Uh, Brooks Reed is another player that they brought in, you know, br- bringing him in from Houston as an edge guy. Um, so, you, so you have to be a little bit more selective. You can't have as many guys that are in sort of those top tiers 
that you're paying a lot of money to outside of a thing, outside of you know the, the rookie contracts essentially, and and you have to kind of stay cheap a little bit. And really, your success in building around that franchise quarterback that you have is going to be heavily dependent on your ability to draft and develop players well, because you're not going to be able to splurge quite as much. You know, you have a little bit of flexibility there for sure, but you're not going to be able to go out and go crazy in free agency and trades and taking on these big contracts. Now, you'll note that what we haven't done is we haven't talked about roster construction in in the way that oftentimes you get roster construction talk, which is you need a number one wide receiver and you need a number one running back and you need an all-star left tackle and that's how you're going to build your roster. This is a really flexible model for how it is that you build your roster because it allows you to acquire players in multiple ways, whether it be by the draft or free agency, and based on what it is that you need based on the overall complexion of your roster. It it may be that because of the specific skill that you've got, you just need a transition player at, at, uh, at offensive line. And oftentimes you see that happen with the really, really good quarterbacks where they don't feel the need to invest a whole hell of a lot in their offensive line because they know that they can get away with a couple of transitional players there or get away with a couple developmental players there and call it a day. And it's not a firm box that we're going to say it has to be this way or you have to do it that way. And and that, I think, is the kind of flexible model that we enjoy because every year is going to be a little different and every team is going to be a little different. Right. And as you gather more information on these players, right, they can move within the tiers. I think Michael Bennett is a perfect example of that, right? They took kind of a this this low risk flyer on Michael Bennett when they signed him in 2013. It was a one year, five million dollar deal. Um, you know, turned out to be just criminally undervaluing what he was able to bring to the table. But you you take that as a guy that you're expecting to just kind of fill this immediate need and hopefully be able to contribute. And he turns into where I think now, right? He's a he's a core player. He's a number one tier guy that that you're really kind of building around there in Seattle. So. As you get, as you gather more information on these guys, and as we, uh, you know, kind of move year after year, they're going to move throughout these tiers as well. And so it is important. We're not saying that positions aren't important; they, they certainly are, and they are one of the criteria that we use when kind of figuring out where we're going to put players and what tier we're going to put them in. But overall, we we think this model is going to help us better evaluate the state of the roster because. But, you know, we said it at the top of the show right now, there's a lot of excitement in 49er land and it's well-founded. It is well-founded excitement. You've got, you've got your quarterback, you've got some pieces figured out. You've got a head coach and a general manager that seem to have the, the ship coursed in the right direction, but that doesn't mean that everything is solved right now. It doesn't mean the roster is in a good place. Even if you hear talk about the Niners, maybe winning nine or 10 games, if they would have had Jimmy Garoppolo all year, that might be the case but that doesn't mean that the Niners roster is in a place to sustain that year over year. And that's, I think, what we're getting after is how do we build a roster where you can maximize the talents of the players that you have and sustain success year over year and not have this volatile regression where you win 10 games and then you win six games. And it's just because you have an easy schedule and then you have a hard schedule. You don't want to turn into the Colts. Right, where you have Andrew Luck, you have your top quarterback, but you don't have anything around him, right? There there's so I think with the 49ers roster, there's still a lot of work to be done, and we're gonna get, you know, in, into the tiers here momentarily, but you don't wanna be in a situation where, okay, yeah, maybe in a good year when things break right and Jimmy stays healthy and, and everything kind of goes well, you're a ten win team and you're competing for a playoff spot. But then, you know, if say Jimmy's out for you know, gets injured and is out for a couple of weeks. Um, or just kind of has a bad stretch where they lose some games, you know, during a season, that's going to be something you want to be able to overcome with the rest of your roster, right? So you still have work to do with the rest of the the team there. Um, even though there's, there's a lot of encouraging things that have happened since we were going through, uh, and, and talking about where they needed to go a year ago. Um, it, it's, it's still many areas of the roster that need some work. So what now? What are we going to do with this model that we spent hours and hours trying to build and figure out where to rank players and kind of retroactively apply it? What the hell do we do? Well, over the next couple of weeks, this week is week one. We've got next week and the week after. We're going to move through each of the tiers and give you a high-level overview of where we think the Niners roster is in respect to those tiers. Then we're going to pull out some interesting items, some players to look at, 
or some kind of tidbits that we didn't think would be there, but that are important when it comes to the future of building the 49ers roster. Because in three weeks, we're going to be pretty much into the offseason. We're going to be, uh, I think that we're going to take a week off uh, for the Super Bowl or, or thereabouts. But then once the Super Bowl's over, you start getting into draft, you start getting into free agency, and you really have to have a good handle on where your roster is in order to figure out where you're going to go and what you're going to do. So we hope that this lays the foundation for what it is that we're going to talk about when we get to the draft and when we get to free agency so that we know what parts of the roster really need to be upgraded. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of nice for us, right? And I think this is more the way the team goes about it, right? One of the first things you do when the season ends, you start to go through self-evaluation and you want to really see, okay, where are we at? Where do we need to upgrade? You know, where are we good? And we haven't really had an opportunity to do that on the podcast the last several years. We're always looking for fucking coaches. We're looking for head coaches. We're looking for general managers, whatever it may be. And, you know, so this this time for us before has been head coaching search. And then we hire somebody in February is all about, okay, what does this guy bring to the table? And and we can kind of finally skip all that. And and we can really take a good look at where the roster is at currently and then start to move forward into, all right, we got a month now until free agency is going to kick off you know, start going through positions that we identify here that we need and and identifying players that might be targets. So I think it gives us uh, the ability to approach it in a manner that's much more similar to what the team is going to be doing. Uh, The old roster model. I love it. Roster model week this (laughs) week. I guess the roster model month. We'll have a ski month later. Uh, It's going to be good. We can actually spend some time investing in ourselves, David. Let's invest in ourselves. (laughs) Let's do this. It's going to be great. So we're going to go in reverse order. We're going to start with the least sexiest, but still some of the most important tiers. We're going to start with tier five, the replaceable players. And then we're also going to do tier four this week. And that's going to round out this podcast next week. We're going to get into tier three and tier two before we get to tier one uh, three weeks from now, or I guess two weeks from now. So tier five, the replaceables. Couple of top line stats from the replaceable tier for the 49ers roster. There are 25 total players in this tier. This is the largest tier on the roster. That should already give you an indication of where this roster is. Yes, it's capable of winning six games because we found a quarterback and we have a great coach on offense and we have a defense that can stop the run. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that the roster top to bottom is good. This is still the largest area of the roster. And what's interesting to note is the positions that are highly represented in this tier are edge with five players in the replaceable category cornerback with four players in the replaceable category and wide receiver with another four players in the replaceable category other categories will actually be able to read off the names on the podcast (laughs) this category was so large that we actually couldn't and didn't want to spend time reading all those names so we're going to post the list on on the article on niners nation but we're not going to read it here because we don't want this to be like the Golden Globes or the Oscars where it's like in memoriam, right? Where it's just like all the people that died. And you're like, I didn't know that dude was an actor. I didn't know that right? guy died. We, we get to like name 10 and you're just, you know, eyes are glazing over. You're not paying attention anymore. There are literally some players that I, I legit still don't know they played for us. Like yeah. uh, Eli- mean, for Elijah sure. Lee. I, yeah. I, 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 Mark, I only know him uh, because of special teams. Yeah. Mostly. Mark, um, Mark Najoka. I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's Najoka. Um, Najocha, yeah, like I I literally like Antoine Exum Jr. He was a backup safety that he played for a couple snaps because we lost all of our safeties, and that was Um, the story. Daryl Williams Jr. played three snaps at some point, yeah, like a tackle. I think he came in, I think he might even have come in guard during like an injury crazy part. I don't know, yeah, yeah, but but like it's it's just uh, these are just players that they are. They're, they're players you don't really commit to memory because they're eminently replaceable. Right. And so I think uh, the, the first thing that really jumps out about this class, and you kind of hit on it with the, the positions that are um, most represented there, but the edge group on this team is about to get a makeover. So again, they're the most highly represented uh, position group in this tier with five guys, and four of those five players are scheduled to be unrestricted free agents. Uh, those players are Aaron Lynch, Tank Carradine, Cassius Marsh, and old Legger Doosable. Uh, it's Lee J, man. We learned how to pronounce it. No, nah, it's it's Legger. It's fun. He's done. He's dead to me now. You know, he's not <laughs> he's not going to be here. Um, and, and so that's out of nine total edge guys that that got snaps this season. Um, and, and so I think you look at those those four names, right? 
and I don't know that you're making a strong case. I mean, it, I kind of go back to the names that we were looking at last year, right? And it's like guys like Gerald Hodges where it's like, okay, there's a couple of decent players in there. Like, right, I don't think Aaron Lynch is a terrible player, but I think it's it's pretty established that he's not a fit. He's not what they're looking for. Um, well, I think for us, we, you know, we thought, okay, Aaron Lynch, you might say, oh, he deserves to be in tier four and kind of an upside player. But at this point, I feel like we have a really good handle on who he is. Yeah. And, and the thing about upside is that there, there needs to be the potential for something more. And with Aaron Lynch, I think this is his ceiling. He's a guy who can kind of come in and, and maybe get some pressure and some spot relief, but he's not going to be a consistent producer and you can find that kind of production elsewhere. Right. I think the prime example of this is Cassius Marsh. Sign that guy midseason, and yeah. he's played more snaps than Aaron Lynch. He seems to have overtaken Aaron Lynch's role altogether. And he's had some kind of important pressures over the course of the year, at least for the 49ers, when it came to contributing to their winning games. But you can find players like that. Exactly. I think it's, in, and this was kind of, I feel like the theme of last year's, you know, uh, free agent class in terms of the, the players, whether we were going to resign them or not, um, was, you know, don't get overly comfortable with the names you know. Like, there's nothing that these players do that you can't go find pretty easily. You don't want to, you don't want to resign the Aaron Lynch and the Tank Carity and the Cash Marsh. You just want to go find the next guy, right? You can go get these guys cheap, um, you can, you're probably going to be able to draft some players late in the draft, uh, to be able to bring in and get that sort of contribution. So I think this is, you know, last year we saw the skill positions just get a complete makeover. It was Carlos Hyde and Garrett Selleck were the only guys left standing kind of when they were done. I think we're going to see a similar sort of turnover with edge where it's basically going to be Solomon Thomas, uh, Eric oh. Armstead. Elvis Dumerville. Elvis Dumerville is still under contract, and he's you know he's going to be um, you know again somebody we're not really looking for long term production on, but he's, yeah, he would, well I won't spoil that we, tier. You can probably if you've been paying attention, you can probably guess where he's going to land. But yeah, it's it's again, and you can even argue right those first two players aren't natural edge guys necessarily, yeah. right? So I think this is a position that is is really ripe to just get a complete makeover uh this offseason so that was the first thing that kind of jumped out to me at least when looking through these tier five guys yeah now, now when you look at wide receiver and and you think of where you are there i know a lot of the offseason talk has been do we need to upgrade the wide receiver position and when you look at the wide receiver rankings that we've got in terms of tiering them out you know you've got marquise goodwin you've got trent taylor pierre garçon aldrick robinson kendrick Bourne, uh aaron burbridge deandre smelter lewis murphy victor bolden jr those are the players. I mean, Aaron Burbridge and DeAndre Smelter, they're, they're kind of out of this world. Yeah. Uh, but Lewis Murphy, he's replaceable. He's a five. He is someone that we signed off the street. You can find other Lewis Murphys out there. Yep. Victor Bolden Jr. is someone who we thought maybe we should put him in another category, but he's also someone that you, you can find that kind of shifty wide receiver. There, there's nothing, at least thus far, that we've seen that is special about Victor Bolden Jr. And, and you look at the rest of, of the wide receiver core, and... It's not as dire as it necessarily was two years ago, but it's still a unit that needs an influx of talent and needs a, a different complexion in terms of tiers. Yeah, but I, and I but I think kind of like we've talked about with the the Marquise Goodwin stuff and Pierre Garçon, right? Is from a short term perspective, it's it, we're maybe okay, right? So a, a lot of these tier five guys were guys that didn't play a lot or we weren't really expecting a lot from to begin with. So I think it's a little bit of, of a different situation from Edge, whereas Edge, a lot of those guys that were the the tier five players were getting snaps, right, and getting significant action, uh, at least for stretches of the season, whereas is here it was a little bit different. You know, some of these guys were dealing with injuries and, and on IR, but they're guys you're going to move on from and you're going to replace with other sort of bottom of the roster guys probably, or at least you could get away with doing that for a year because you have some other, other players you're expecting in the short term. But I think, yeah, this is something, whether it is, is this off season or next off season, you know, this is obviously an area uh, that we're expecting some talent. You know, it's no surprise that everybody has been wanting uh, you know, kind of edge corner receiver are always among the top positions listed for, um, you know, in terms of need for the 49ers going into this offseason. Uh, I think I don't think it's any surprise that we see them most represented in this year. 
So other player that we we noticed that was a little outsized for being in tier five just because of the number of snaps that he played this year is going to be one Mr. Dante Johnson. Man, we were we were looking forward to seeing him play because we thought once he got an opportunity in a defense that fit his strengths, he could really flourish. And he really he got his opportunity. <laughs> uh, but he got it's a thousand twenty six snaps of opportunity. Which and is we've probably... seen plenty. <laughs> yeah, we've seen plenty at this point. He is firmly in the replaceable category. His thirty seven point five pro football focus coverage grade ranked him one hundred and twentieth out of one hundred and twenty three qualifying cornerbacks if that's not the definition of replaceable i don't know what is there are literally i don't know you could get like the 119th graded corner the 118th graded (laughs) corner and 117th graded corner and they would all grade out a little better than Nate johnson and you could probably have them for like a ham sandwich and a bag of peanuts oh man i bet you you could get them for like some french fries with mayonnaise as the condiment which nobody wants but you would still trade a Dante Johnson for that. Damn. Uh, how that, I mean, again, how much difference a year makes, right? Like, uh, like you mentioned, this was, I think we were, we were pretty wrong on, um, and definitely wrong. You know, it sucks to see, but I think this is probably a better situation than at least for us, right? It doesn't really make a difference for the team. Obviously the team would have rather had a much better player in there right now, but I think this is a situation where, if if we would have just parted ways with Dante Johnson this offseason, right, we would have always kind of wondered, like, man, you know, we, I, we, he would have probably been done done well in this scheme and, you know, really would like to have seen him get a chance. And it, I think it's good to now he's got his chance. You just know. And, it, and you just kind of know, and it's like, all right. And he's a guy as well that's going to be uh, a free agent this year. Would be shocked. Shocked if he if he returns. Uh, I think he's going to have to go look for greener pastures elsewhere. Yeah, he's going to have to not be a niner. That's <laughs> that's that's where that's where I put him. But um, other players that are notable in the replaceable category is Zane Beatles. It just there's we've I don't know that there's anything that we can say now that we haven't already said about how bad Zane Beatles is it's at football. M- many 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 times over. Yeah, already I mean he, he's he's very clearly a five. And he can't even play tuba. Like he, he can't even he can't even Jordan Devi his way into this. No redeemable qualities. Yeah. Whatsoever. So tier five, big things to worry about are that A, it still comprises the largest part of the 49ers roster. Edge is highly represented, which is worrisome. Wide receiver is also an area where you probably still need to get an influx of talent. Um, and Dante Johnson and Zane Beatles are two of the highest snap getters in this category and they need to be replaced ASAP. So let's get to the Tier 4 players, the developmental players that are going to be the younger players with upside that you want to keep on your roster to develop into something more. There are eight total players in this tier. This is actually the second lowest numbered tier, meaning that there's just the second lowest people in this category. No position has multiple players in this tier. And kind of by definition... These are all players on their rookie contracts. So these are all recently acquired players that are not a lot of the roster right now because we just haven't had a lot of great drafts. So let's run through these ones, right? So only eight eight players right now. So these are the guys that we're looking at here that we ended up placing in this category. So we have uh, interior defender DJ Jones. Edge, maybe interior defender, defensive lineman, TBD, Ronald Blair. We have last year first-round pick, Joshua Garnett. We have quarterback C.J. Beathard. Running back, Joe Williams. Offensive lineman, I think likely interior offensive lineman, Eric Magnuson. Tight end, Cole Hicatini. And wide receiver, Kendrick Bourne. So these are our guys mostly this year's draft class. I think it's mostly guys towards the bottom of the class. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a couple of injury players in there in in Joe Williams and Josh Garnett. Um, so I'm going to ask this question to you because again, there's not there's not a lot. There's no we, we don't have a, a single position there that has multiple players. Well, there's one one exception that I would say is probably like it's a quasi exception. That's Eric Magnuson. He's listed as a tackle because that's where he that's played where he a played lot of year. snaps. Yeah, yeah that's this a good year. Point. But he is he was projected as a guard. That's what he played in college. 
Um, or yeah. no, he played tackle. He played, played kind of tackle, a, but he was uh, he was projected to be an interior guy. Played mostly on the interior in the preseason, in the pre-season which season. was where we kind of liked him a little bit more. And then the offense fell apart. The offensive line fell apart due to injuries, and so he played tackle, and and so he's listed as a tackle. So yeah, good ma- catch. Yeah, so maybe like that. That's probably where we got multiple ones, but hopefully that doesn't blow up your question. No. So I think the first question is is of those eight players, which player do the 49ers most need? need to develop into a tier two player oh that's easy that easy answer is going to be uh from the interior line joshua garnett yeah i I think that is the the easy answer if joshua garnett can develop into a tier two player honestly even into a tier three player even if you're like yeah guy you can get through your rookie contract on exactly be okay with and be okay with that i think that that's going to be a need because the interior of the line i think is going to be affected by the successful play of Jimmy Garoppolo. But without a solid kind of interior, you're, you're going to see teams that are built for the playoffs be able to dominate. You're going to be able to see the Jacksonville's of the world. I mean, we saw what Atlanta did with their defense in the playoffs. And, and if, this is the, if this is what we're trying to talk about, if we're trying to get to the playoffs and do so consistently, you're going to need to be able to handle big, fast teams like Atlanta that are going to have attack McKinley, that are going to stunt him, that are going to have a Vic Beasley, and they're going to line him up on the same side. And now what are you going to do when you've got a wet paper towel and skates because it's, you know, Zane Beatles in a Tier 5 player? I think the other thing, so I, I completely agree that, that Garnett is kind of the obvious answer here. I think there's a, there's a couple things to point out with him. One, if we remember back, we step back and, and kind of look at, because again, we haven't, been able to see him under this new regime or a whole year without Josh Garnett. This yeah, year. the question you might be asking is why isn't he a like a, a tier two player, right? Where he right. is a, a young why, yeah, player. I guess, yeah, why is he in this to begin with? Yeah. And I think that gets back to kind of a little bit of worry with the transition to this type of offense. Now, there's been a lot kind of recently of about how he's transforming his body and he's dropping all this we, weight. We and got the preseason talk real early this real year. Real early. Best shape of his life story <laughs> is coming real early. So My favorite part of that story is how he gets his meals delivered to his house so he doesn't have to cook, my, but that he can continue to eat healthy. I think my favorite part. So there was a there was a Q and A on uh, the athletic yeah. w- with him about kind of this process and, and and what he's doing and what he's been spending this entire year doing. And I think the the funniest part of that whole thing to me was they're asking him. So yeah, they're talking about how he gets meals delivered and and all of this type of stuff that he's doing to make sure that he's eating healthy. And uh, I forget who was interviewing, but it basically is like. Uh, do you, do you get like a cheat day? Do you take cheat days every once in a while? And he's like, the first 22 years of my life was a cheat day. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, damn man, that's all right. Shit. Um, but yeah, but yeah. So I think going back to where we were at with Josh Garnett a year ago is this was a guy that, um, you know, at Stanford played in a scheme that's very gap heavy and they did run zone and he's mentioned as much and, and, and not trying to say that he's never played in a zone scheme whatsoever, but it was a little bit concerned. He was much better in, in kind of that, that gap stuff, the power counter where you're, you're down blocking and you're using kind of more bol- uh, brute strength and then you get, get out on the poles. Um, it's a little bit of a different mentality, a different skill set than when you're in zone scheme and you got a little taste of it as rookie year. Uh, you know, under Chip Kelly, and it didn't go so well. It, it wasn't it wasn't a good year for him, um, and so I think there were concerns about his ability to to show the movement skills necessary to excel in this type of scheme. And I think that's one of the key things there. When we look at, at evaluating Joshua Garnett, I think it's movement skills and balance. Oftentimes, athleticism gets kind of lumped into this giant ball that is overall athleticism, but there are finer components to athleticism. And Joshua Garnett is an NFL offensive lineman. He is plenty athletic. He is an elite athlete when you compare him to normal human beings. But when you compare him to other football players and other offensive linemen that excel in that zone blocking scheme, I don't think that he always exhibits the kind of balance Mm -hmm. or the change of direction that you need in order to succeed at that role. That doesn't mean he won't develop it. That doesn't mean that the things that he's doing in the offseason won't help. It just means that he is much better attacking someone in a straight line as he's pulling than he is moving laterally and changing and trying to get at someone at the second level. 
And I think so then getting to the reason why this would be, uh, you know, the, the, the player that they really most need to develop into that tier two, tier three type of guy. It's not just because they have a clear need there, right? We know we've, we've talked at length nearly every week this, uh, this season about the interior offensive line and some of the struggles that they've gone through. Uh, so obviously you want to get a player there, but it's, it's the ability to get a player that's already under contract. That's on a rookie contract if you can get that guy to come in and be able to contribute, that frees up resources elsewhere, right? And so if you That's a first round draft pick, meaning you can get that extra year. Exactly. So you have the potential to to add the option year on there. And then if you if you're starting to feel confident in that, right? If you're the 49ers and you're going through this process right now of self-evaluation and you're trying to determine okay, are we going to take, uh, you know, are we willing to take a guard in the top 10, uh, a guy like Quentin Nelson? Are we willing to go out and spend big money on on a top free agent at guard, somebody like an Andrew Norwell um, from Carolina? Like, is Or do we extend Brandon Fusco, who didn't have a terrible yeah. year this year and, and was one of probably the better free agent signings the 49ers had? But if you can get, if you know that you can get by with your now new tier two player, and a, a kind of bridge in your tier three when it comes to someone like a Brandon Fusco. Maybe you don't have to draft Quentin Nelson this year. Maybe you can kick that can down the line, draft that maybe next year, or draft another developmental player in the fourth, fifth round, somewhere in that area. It just changes what you can do with your roster and how you choose to build it. Definitely. And you see, um, you know, there are a ton of examples of offensive linemen taken day two, day three that come out to be big time contributors. I mean, Carolina kind of. Uh, made their living on that for a while. A lot of the guys that they they drafted with Gettleman there um, were were later like third round and later type of guys. Um, and so I think the it, also you start looking at how that need has changed a little bit, right? With Jimmy Garoppolo coming in there, I think a big thing with offensive line is you don't need to have a great offensive line to be successful. I think there are a lot of teams out there that don't have great offensive lines that are doing just fine offensively because of who they have under center. So the fact that the Niners have Jimmy Garoppolo now and we see his ability to to kind of mask that deficiency a little bit already, you just need to, to get to that competent level, right? You just need to not be terrible there. And if Josh Garnett can come in and maybe he's not going to be the player that, that Quentin Nelson eventually is in this league, right? But he doesn't need to be for the 49ers to be very successful offensively. If he can just be good enough, and not be guys like Lake and Tomlinson and guys like Zane Beatles and, and these guys that are just getting abused week in, week out. If you can not be that, that's going to be enough for them. And I think that's kind of how it changes the conversation a little bit with him is now I can start to devote some of those resources elsewhere and go attack other needs um, with, without having to spend a lot of money at a position that is is questionable as to whether it's worth that much. So if your question to me was who is the most who the Niners most need to develop into a tier two player, then David, which player do you think from tier four is actually most likely to develop into a competent tier two or tier three player? And I guess we don't need to add the qualifier competent because by definition, I guess they're competent in tier two and tier three. But of of the roster of players, Ronald Blair, DJ Jones, Josh Garnett, good old CJ Beathard, look at this photograph. Joe Williams, Eric Magnuson, Cole Hikatini, and Kendrick Bourne. Which of that group do you think is most likely to develop into a tier two or tier three? So I think the one that sticks out most to me, and this is, and I, I give him a slight edge over another player um, just because we've seen a little bit more of him, and so I'm a little bit more optimistic. Um, but I think it's DJ Jones. I, I think he's a guy that can come in and fill a very specific role, right? I think we, we've seen kind of the athleticism from him, um, he's had some moments, he's had some flashes playing that one technique, that nose tackle role, um, where it, it, it's, it points been very clear that it's like, okay, he offers more upside than somebody like Earl Mitchell uh, immediately, just for, based on what he's able to do in this kind of these, these handful of snaps. Um, so I think you'd look at a guy like that that was, what, a six-round draft pick last year? Um, he's somebody that makes sense to, to come in and, and, again, fill that specific role. I think you're not necessarily asking him to be a heavy snap type of player. He's mostly going to be a base package guy. So he's going to, you know, be in there probably less than half of your defensive snaps, but I think he can come in and fill that specific role uh, at a, at a high level and do it, you know, inexpensively. 
he played 147 snaps this year, DJ Jones did, and a few of those snaps were incredibly impressive. He had a very good game against the Colts. There was a play, um, I forget who it was, but he was lined up against the center, and this was a very, very good center. It may have been, it wasn't against Carolina, I feel like it was week four or five, somewhere in there, but he completely puts this center on skates. Um, and, and it's, he has shown flashes and yeah. I think that's, I think honestly, it's, it's a really good choice. I, I would probably go with Joe Williams for two reasons. One, he's a complete unknown. So, Hey, there's still, yeah. we, we're still, <laughs> we're still going off of the preseason projection, but I do think that I do think Kyle Shanahan has a specific role in mind for Joe Williams. Yeah. And when you look at Joe Williams and the way he's built and the way that he runs, it's, it's clear that I think it's clear that. Shanahan has a, a Tevin Coleman-esque role for Joe Williams in his mind. I don't think he's as good of a receiver, um, and that's not to say that Tevin Coleman's a good receiver, yeah. but I, I do think that because he has that role for him in his mind, he will deploy him in that role, and we'll see more of Joe Williams on offense, and he will probably make more of a name than DJ Jones, especially because Jones is sitting behind the safety bowling ball himself, Earl Mitchell, and that's he's just not going to get as many opportunities, I think, as Joe Williams will. Definitely, and I, and I think I mean Joe Williams was the other guy, right? That I wanted to get that I gave DJ Jones kind of the slight edge over. And I think the thing that concerns me, so just I guess to play devil's advocate, then to to that a little bit, the thing that concerns me about Joe Williams is I'm not sure that he's a runner that can excel when he doesn't have a really good offensive line in front of him. He's not going to at the first level, at least. So kind of within the box. Um, before he's able to break out into space in, in that area, I'm not sure that he's a guy that's going to be able to to get more yards than what's blocked for him. He's just going to, you know, he's not going to create a lot essentially. But if you can, if you have a good offensive line, and this was the situation he had at Utah. Utah had one of the best run blocking offensive lines during his final year there uh, in in the FBS, and he was able to get through that first level, break into to the you know some open space a little bit. And that's where he's really dangerous, right? You you can picture him getting through the first level, getting into the linebackers, into the secondary on those zone runs, and and just having some really explosive plays more than what the 49ers were able to get this year. Um, I'm just not sure the offensive line is there yet. And and yeah, I'm a little uncertain as as to the receiving ability as to whether he can kind of carve out that role. Because the Niners, I mean, we've seen that they're gonna target backs heavily. They just don't have anybody that was can do it really well yet. Carlos Hyde got a shit ton of targets. He didn't do a whole lot with him. He wasn't yep. very good on those targets. And um, he also had the the most drops for running back this year. And yeah. num- number two was, was Matt Breida. Was Breida, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Breida uh, didn't show a whole lot more as a receiver. So I think um, that's an area that they definitely need. They need a back that can come in and be a weapon as a receiver. Um, I'm not convinced yet that joe williams is that guy so i guess that's my hesitations why i went with dj jones over yeah him. what would be interesting is if matt Breida does make joe williams a little bit redundant only because i would have thought joe williams would have excelled on that outside zone but matt Breida reads the outside zone pretty well yeah and, and if matt Breida, promising start yeah. yeah and if matt Breida can do that on the outside zone then you know joe williams i don't think that i'll put it this way i don't think that his toe was a season-long ir issue yeah, I, th- I think there was some other stuff going on there. Yeah, <laughs> he, he didn't come in and impress the way that they had hoped. They they trend bulkied him <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. They definitely um, trend bulkied him. Yeah, so I think that's. I mean, th- that's kind of the thing. There, it's a small group there, but I think those are kind of some of the more notable names for sure. Guys that we're going to be keeping on. Some of them like C.J. Beathard. I mean, we kind of know what he is, right? We got a good taste of what C.J. Beathard is right now, and I think we're we're kind of hoping that he develops into uh, a, little a quality bit more. backup. You know player that we can rely on if cj bethard is if the new brian down. hoyer yeah um you know I, I think backup quarterbacks obviously an important role you hope you don't need it a whole lot but ask um, philadelphia it's it's nice to have a guy that you can trust that can go in there and at least yeah. kind of execute at a, a relatively decent level so i think that's what you're looking at there and i think a lot of the other guys it's it's bigger projects right guys like kendrick Bourne, cola Catini. yeah there's talent there but they have a, a, a longer way to go. Eric Magnuson, same thing. You know, they, they have a much longer journey to get to a point where they're going to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a quality player on the roster. So that does it for this week. This is the first of three weeks where we're going to be looking back at the roster. So make sure you tune in next week. We'll be here, same bat time, same bat channel. We are going to tackle two other tiers. We're going to tackle tier three and tier two. So we're going to talk about those transitional players, those veterans that are filling a specific role. 
and the foundational players that we feel are the, the going to be part of the core nucleus of the well no i can't use that word now i know we see of course it's, it's tough but there these are the guys that we're hoping are going to be around for a while right yeah. the, the guys that are going to they're going to have a big impact um even if they're not necessarily the stars are going to get a lot of accolades or anything like that and then we're going to start applying this model to what it looks like for the 49ers roster building for both free agency and for the draft so I know that we went through some, we tried to describe some pictures because, hey, you can't see our beautiful faces. We've got faces for radio. But we're going to post some of these pictures up on the Niners Nation article. So if you do get your podcast through the iTunes or the podcast app or Cast or Overcast or whatever it is that you use, definitely go onto the Niners Nation website and take a look at the article that we posted because we will have supplemental material. We are also going to post the complete list of Tier 5 and Tier 4 players as we have them ranked. So you'll also be able to see those as well. Uh, And we will post the definitions for each of the individual tiers, tier one through tier four uh, or through tier five. So that does it for this week. Uh, Make sure you follow me on the Twitters. You can follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That's going to be at Newman NFL. Indeed. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.